This holiday is uh, difficult one to know how to approach because it means so many, many, many different things to so many people. All of us have our own lives and histories and relationships that we've navigated. And, and, and I would have to think at least half the world navigating family systems is challenging. There is a Native American saying that the first people had the questions and they were free. The second people had answers and they became enslaved. Most of us here present come from the second people. We're well trained in their current dominant culture to adapt and navigate with reasonable success and safety. Uh, So many things are a part of our lives that we incorporate, though, without thinking about it. I was reading a book by Forrest Church, or um, looking at it yesterday, and found some references to things like handshakes. You know, this is something that we do to greet people, and it's a positive um, experience in our culture these days, but it was rooted in the Middle Ages when men uh, met each other. They shook hands to check each other for weapons. And then when they sat down to feast with each other and clinked their glasses in a toast, which we still do, that was so that some of your drink would spill into the other person, so if it was poisoned, everybody died. There's so many things that we do and have no idea why. They're just a part of our culture. So many of the social conventions are simply part of our everyday actions and interactions are based in suspicion. Should we love our neighbors or inspect them for weapons? Or both. Uh, In the meantime, we continue to shake hands and make our toasts while we figure that out. Uh, The the system is self-perpetuating, right? I mean, you don't generally have formal training in shaking hands or clinking glasses. Maybe you do. But it's just something we kind of pick up along the way, I think. We see lots of people do it. Um, But as we absorb these cultural habits, it's kind of like, I I think of it kind of like a rope or a wire that's tied around a tree. If you leave it there long enough, the tree grows around it and you can't even see it anymore. It just it's not healthy for the tree. It's not a natural part of the tree, but it and but it, you don't see it anymore, and it is definitely now a part of the tree. You'd be 
hard pressed to try to get it out without affecting the tree. Now, while there are individuals in the world who may come from perfect families and may be perfect parents, I am not as yet aware of any. Granted, there are some great ones, but perfect, I think, is carrying a little bit too far. Several months when I found several months ago when I found out I was going to be speaking on Mother's Day, my my first thought was to talk about my experience as a mother, to talk about my non-traditional family and how difficult some things have been uh, for my son, who for most of his life has had four mothers. Um, for the uh, legal system in, in some ways, the rights I don't have, things that we've had to navigate. Um, but then I thought about the wide variety of family configurations in our community, from families of one to families of eight or ten. Heads of households that are single parents, grandparents, same-gender parents, older siblings, and in some cases one might almost argue that canines and felines rule the roost. Um, I had given some thought to the reality that there were no intrafamilial or even television role models for us to follow. I was blazing my own trail for better or worse, and gradually I began to conjecture that none of us really had role models, because whatever was the standard before we became parents was obsolete before we got there. It's a different world all the time. Not to mention that every child is a world unto themselves and creates their own uh, set of required responses. There's a proverb that says, One of life's greatest mysteries is how the boy who was not good enough to marry your daughter can be the father of the smartest grandchild in the world. Family systems are complicated, or at least they feel complicated. Um, even the best parents are human. We do the best we know how with the information that we have and hope and pray that it's enough so that our children will have what they need and be happy and confident and healthy and kind and successful. Still, none of us make it through unscathed, right? I was not capable of imagining the challenges our family would face before I was a parent. 
But can any of us? We get wounded. Quite often, people find that their families of origin are their most exacting training grounds and are the biggest lessons that we have to learn. If this is not the case for you, you are truly blessed and more rare than you may be able to imagine. Uh, The creator of The Simpsons, Matt Groening, who just happens to be a Unitarian Universalist, said that families are all about love overcoming emotional torture. (laughs) I'm not sure how old these systems are, but whether it's just a few decades or more than that, but there are some descriptive models for dysfunctional families that kind of grew out of the culture of... um, trying to solve addictions and and dependencies. And um, while there are a number of variations on the theme, generally they talk about the way family systems work to create an internal balance and an external appearance of normalcy. So within these systems, and many of you are probably familiar with these, these concepts and ideas and... Um, I hope you'll bear with me as I go through a quick overview. But to establish and maintain the equilibrium in families, certain characteristics have to be embodied by family members. And they may be more widely dispersed as there are more people in the family or individuals may carry different pieces of different of these roles. But just for example, well, the roles that are commonly spoken about, at least in one of these models, um, are the good child or the hero who's often an overachiever, does everything right, and in many cases steps in to do a lot of the parenting. Then there's the problem child or scapegoat who gets blamed for all the family's problems, often acts out, may be violent, but may also be the most emotionally stable person in the family unit, but because they don't participate well in the system, they get blamed. Then there's the lost child, who is quiet and uh, may not have their needs met or acknowledged much because they try to keep a low profile and be inconspicuous. Um, Then there's the caretaker or enabler who does everything to make sure that the, the identified patient is kept happy. And, you know, these are... Roles that are from a particular dysfunctional family model, but I think there, but I think there are pieces of that that carry over into healthy families too. There, you know, there are the mascot, the entertainer, the one who it is whose job it is to add levity and keep people distracted, and and you know, the, um, I think somehow we might 
each identify with one of these more than the others. Um, But in a family system, if one of the roles isn't being served anymore, like if um, the scapegoat somehow ceases to participate with the system, isn't there, someone else will be blamed for the family's problems. It um, And all of this is to say that the systems, though adaptable in some ways, are virulent and persistent in general. And let me say right here that none of us are the roles that we play. Mike, could we please turn this down just a little bit? Thank you. Even if the systems within which we grew up were not anything like the family systems that I was just talking about, or um, they don't have that kind of dynamic, we carry the systems that we grew up in around with us. They they determine how we filter a whole lot of our experiences for a a good portion of our, our lives And I would go further to say that regardless of your family history, many of the filters through which you view the world were developed in childhood and are the result of expectations and standards or lack of them in the environment in which you grew up. For some people, the greatest portion of their self-identity is based on their relationship to their family whether it's their family of origin or the family that they might marry into. Um, But somehow built around their family. A therapist I know spoke about a mother who had just lost her 16-month-old son. The grieving mother asked, Am I still a mother if I've lost my only child? And the therapist, without hesitation, answered, Of course. My father has been gone for more than 20 years, and I am still his daughter. The roles are part of who we are. And when we come into a community like this, we bring those assumptions and filters and roles with us. Unless we find ways to identify and step out of that programming. Now, we may not see that programming is a bad thing, but it does somehow inhibit our ability to see objectively the people around us because it's easy to go into a a community like this or a system like this or the broader community or into the country and begin to make others fill the roles that balance out the system. We scapegoat somebody, whether it's a 
news host on a channel we don't care for or a politician or a country Those, I think, come from our sense of having answers. And as the Native American saying suggested, when we have answers, we become enslaved by them, and we need to return to the questions. So how do we heal a system like that. You know, we, Albert Einstein said we can't solve problems with the consciousness that create them. And if we keep doing what we've always done, we'll get what we've always got. Right? The systems are self-perpetuating. In many ways, they serve us very well. So what do we do to change the systems? How do we break a dynamic that is set in perpetual motion and seems to have no end? In all the scenarios that I've mentioned... From what I understand, and I would be glad to hear other views, um, there are only two choices. You participate in the system because you cannot change it from within, or you exit the system. I think there are a lot of ways to exit. But engaging, even if it's trying to change the system, is automatic participation and perpetuation. In systems theory, the identified patient is understood not to be the sick one, but the place or at which the sickness surfaces. The pathology shows up there, but the pathology is part of the system. So we don't need to be trying to uh, say that Al-Qaeda is the problem although surely they are a problem but they're the result of the problem if we have any dreams of change in significant ways whether it's here or in our families, or in our city, or nation, or global village, we have to remove ourselves from participation with the system as it is. Get back to the questions and away from clinging to inadequate answers. We have to remember, we have to remember what we don't know and free ourselves from the habits that keep the world ordered in its dysfunction. 
We have to stop bl- blaming the volcanoes for erupting and come up with ways to build more comprehensive fire extinguishers. We must find our way outside the boxes we've lived in for so many, many years. Go where there is no path. Find entirely new ways, means, and dimensions through which to address what is. We need a metamorphosis. From a cocoon, a butterfly should emerge. Improvement does not give us a butterfly. It only gives us a faster caterpillar. Things have to change in a significant way. The spirit, if creating, is alive and well. Deep knowledge is being revealed in an ongoing fashion. If we remove ourselves from participation in fanning the flames, learn to see the ropes our trees have grown around, we have a chance to begin to behave like responsible, healthy, autonomous parents to a world that very much needs love and compassionate guidance. We stop collaborating with the problems through tacit acceptance of our roles, and we discover we are outside the box. We do have the ability to break the chains of habit if we dare to be free. I kind of went off in my imagination that there's a third people after the first people with the the questions and the second people with the answers, that we could be the third people who move beyond questions and answers to free all people. When we free our own hearts from the flawed and broken systems that teach us to be fearful and not to give love, that teach us where to be guarded so that those who most need us might stay outside. If we can learn acceptance and forgiveness For ourselves, not expecting perfection, not expecting that we do any better than our best in every given moment. Then that will allow us the freedom and the capacity to love and accept and forgive others those from the systems that made us the way we are. Imperfect as they were, imperfect as we are. Seems like acceptance and forgiveness are something we need to do every day. Questioning things that 
looking hard enough to question things that we don't notice most of the time. There's a good exercise at trying to see if putting gradual, consistent pressure on that rope might help it grow out of the tree. (laughs) I don't know. Um, We need freedom in our spirits to give freedom to other people. And we do that by forgiving ourselves by releasing ourselves from the systems and not holding ourselves to things that don't work.